For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I wanted to start out this morning by, um, reading, by reading you a small section from a book I finished earlier this year. The book is written by a fellow called John Piper, and he's writing from when he was a young boy. So have a, have a listen along. My father was an evangelist, and when I was a boy, there were rare occasions when my mother and sister and I travelled with him, and we heard him preach. I trembled to hear my father preach. In spite of his predictable opening humour, the whole thing, the whole sermon, struck me as absolute blood earnest. And as he preached, oh, how he would plead. He would plead with children, teenagers, young marrieds, middle-aged, old people. He would press to them, into them the warnings and the wooings of Christ. And he had stories, so many stories for each age group. One of the most gripping illustrations that my fiery father used was the story of an old man converted in his old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But, for, for, but this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. And at the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, this man walked down the centre. He took my father's hand. They sat down in the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed and God opened up his heart to the gospel of Christ 
he was saved from his sin and he was given eternal life that night. But that did not stop him from sobbing and sobbing and saying as tears ran down his wrinkled face, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. The story of an old man. It gripped me more than all the other stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted. The story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. In those early years, God awakened in me a fear and a passion not to waste my life. The book's called Don't Waste Your Life, which is quite an appropriate title, but it's a very serious book. It's very serious in its challenge. See, John Piper writes because he doesn't want people like you and me to wake up one day, to wake up tomorrow, in a year's time, in ten years' time, and to think, where has my life gone? Where has it gone? He warns us not to waste this precious life that we have been given. And he reckons the best way not to waste it is that you need to find what he calls a centre point. He says you've got to find something worth living for. He calls it like an anchor point, a solid ground. You need to find something worth living for. And if you don't find a centre point, he says, this is his suggestion, you are like a leaf in the wind that just blows about, never confident of anything, never sure, living just for the next thing, living for whatever's put before you, doing whatever people expect of you. And it's easy, isn't it, as we look maybe right now at your own life or as you look back, it's easy to blend in. It's easy to follow the mob. It's easy to do what's expected of you. And John Piper says, with as much subtlety and passion, he says, don't waste your life. Don't be like that old man. Don't, because you may well end up being like that old man. You know what he says? If you do find something worth living, so he goes back to the centre point. He says, if you do find something worth living, pursue it, chase it down, desire it with all your heart, and in that way, you won't waste your life. In fact, your life will be satisfying, especially if the centre point is about God, and that's what he suggests is the right way. You won't waste your life. Well, I must say, as I started preparing this, this passage in the Bible, Psalm 67, and as I read it and reread it quite a few months ago now, I kept thinking of this book. The psalmist, the fellow here, he reminds me of what John Piper's saying. This guy, the psalmist, he's found a solid point. He's found something to anchor his life on. And he's pursuing it with all his heart. If you shut your Bibles, open them back up to Psalm 67. I'm not sure what page number they are. Psalm 67. 411. And um, again, the outlines are there in your bulletin if you want. Let's look at this together. So what has this fellow found? What is this anchor point? What is, what is this thing he's desiring more than anything else? Well, he wants God to be praised by all people. That's his theme, the praise of God. Have a look in verse 3. 
It's really quite obvious, especially as you work your way through the psalm. Verse 3. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And just in case we didn't get it, look at verse 5. The same words are repeated exactly. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. He's on about the praise of God. Look at verse 4, the centre, the sort of the high point of the psalm. He's saying effectively the same thing. May the nations be glad and sing for joy because of you, God. He wants genuine, heartfelt praise, singing. He wants praise to come from within us, to overflow in song. From or for, from Israel, firstly. This was written for the ancient Israelites, for God's special people. He wanted them to overflow with praise for him. Now, I want you to notice, what does the psalmist think is involved in the praising of God? It's all very well to talk about praising God. Is it just flapping our lips? Is it just singing? Look at what the psalmist thinks is involved. It's in verse 2. It's as people come to know about God. It is as God is known, that is when he is praised, that your ways may be known on earth. There's the praise of God. Or as the second part of that verse says... It's when people hear of God's salvation. It's when people receive God's salvation. They accept it. Comes into their life. That actually praises God. Sounds a bit strange. It's not like God is, we're speaking anything back to him. It's when salvation is received. God is praised. When people come to know him personally. So can you see what the writer wants? The writer wants people to praise God by coming to know him. In fact, he wants God to be famous, to be recognised by everyone. Have a look at verse 7. Really interesting. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. He wants people to fear God, to revere God. So it's kind of like he wants everyone to stop, to turn their heads, to lift their eyes from whatever's distracting them, and to focus on God. Thought of it a bit like a celebrity. You know, everyone knows about celebrities. As soon as we hear their name, our ears prick up. We want to know the next bit of action, what's going on for Tiger at the moment. Well, most of us know what's going on for Tiger at the moment. God wants to be famous. Except he wants everyone to lift their eyes from whatever's distracting them and to see him. Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? The psalmist, this is what he's pursuing, the praise of God, the honour of God. It's like his drumbeat. That's the rhythm that keeps him going. That's his big, solid anchor point. But there's something in this passage, something more, that I think we need to be noticing. Who is it that is meant to be doing all this praising and honouring of God? Who is it? Well, in verse 2, it's all the nations. See the end of verse 2? And verse 3 and 5, it's all the peoples. That's an unusual phrase, isn't it? We don't often talk about all the people, we usually say, all the peoples. All kinds of people. God wants, this psalmist wants all kinds of people to praise God. Verse 7, this is pretty inclusive. All the ends of the earth to fear him. So according to the psalmist, it's not just he who's meant to be singing the song. You realise that's a psalm, it's a psalm, it's a song. It's not just the psalmist who's standing up giving a solo item at church. 
He wants all of Israel to be singing this song. In fact, he wants all the earth to join in on this chorus of praise to God for everyone, all nations, all people. Well, we need to face the facts about this song, don't we? It wouldn't be popular in today's charts. Is it, are they called the top four? I think they're called the top 40 today. This song wouldn't be um, very popular at all, not because it's written by a Christian or an ancient Christian, an ancient Jew, not because it's so old. Why wouldn't it make it? Because of its content, because of what it's saying. The idea of all people everywhere coming and worshipping one God. That's a pretty offensive idea for a lot of people today. Um, from where Leanne and I are from, it's often called political incorrectness. There's things you just can't say. You just need to, shh, shh, shh James, shh, don't say that. How could you talk about one God demanding that all, asking, calling all people to worship him? How could you talk about one man, Jesus, being the only way to God? You could also be labelled a terrorist because you know what terrorists go around and do. They force people to believe their ideas. I've had someone call me a terrorist for talking to them about Jesus because it sounds like an exclusive idea. You need to do this or else you're not friends with God. And you'll know what I'm talking about. If you have friends... Or family, I know you've had a mission recently where some of you would have gotten out and tried to share about Jesus. It's not easy. People don't like this message. The idea of all people worshipping God. It's not a popular message. It's not that acceptable. People would rather you just keep it to yourself. Horses for courses. That's another thing that's been said to me. James, horses for courses. You believe that. Good on you. Keep it to yourself. Thank you very much. Well, I guess the thing is that what is popular, what is politically correct, doesn't determine what's true. You see, the truth is not always convenient. It's not always music to our ears. We don't always go, yeah, that's what I want to hear. The truth is sometimes hard to accept, but we need the truth. Think about it. You and I need the truth to live every new day. You can't live by lies. You need to know why I... We need to know the truth about why we are here. We need to know the truth about where we came from. We need to know the truth about what happens after death. We need to know the truth about corruption, sin. These are things we need. We can't live without them. We need the truth. And if we, if we don't have the truth, we're shipwrecked. We're like that leaf in the wind. We float around... And if you're a Christian today, you believe that God has given you the truth in the scriptures. He's given you the truth. And you know what the truth says? That all people have to come and worship God. And that is a wonderful thing. All people coming to worship him. I guess one of the things I like about this psalm, especially with such a strong message, it is a strong message, one of the things I really like about it is that the psalmist gives us the reason why. He doesn't just tell us, come and worship God. He says, I'll tell you why. 
So have a look with me. Verse 4. It's really helpful. Praise God. Be glad. Sing for joy. Why? Because he rules with justice. So God is a ruler. He's not a big teddy bear in the sky. He's a ruler. He holds the unit. We want him to be a ruler, don't we? He holds the universe in his hands. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's just. That's the first reason. That's why we should come to him. The second reason, it's a big reason. Because he guides. He guides with tenderness. That's what the verse says. Guides the nations of the earth. Guiding, that's the idea of a shepherd. God is also a shepherd. He comes close like a caring father. So that's the reason to praise from the psalmist's perspective. He says, I know what God's like. He's big. He's in control. And he's close. He's personal. He guides you. He's like a shepherd. He gives you close direction for your life. Now that reason might not satisfy you. You think about your friends or family or maybe you're here today and this idea of worshipping God is strange. And maybe that idea is not satisfying that God is big, that he's personal. But if we stop and think about this, if we take the time to stop and think about it, if the biggest thing, the ultimate reality behind all of this universe, all of this existence, if that reality can actually be personal and interested in our lives, if that is actually true, he actually cares about me, He cares about my decisions. He cares about my life. If that is true, that is worth singing about. Grand and majestic, yet close and personal. And this guy says, let's sing about it. This God can be known. This is fantastic news. Why is it that you and I rarely overflow with praise like this for God? Why is it that we don't sing like this psalmist, that our heart doesn't bubble up like him? What is it that distracts us from doing it? What gets in the way? See, that's partly the issue, isn't it? Things are getting in the way of us seeing God. Maybe, what is it that we just, and I say this respectfully, because a lot of you have maybe been Christians for a lot longer than me. What is it that we just don't understand about God? We haven't yet grasped about God. Maybe a wrong view of God that's stopping us from praising him like this psalmist. Well, I can't answer these questions for you because they're personal questions and each of us have different lives, but I want to suggest maybe just a couple of things, a couple of reasons why this is the case. I say this to myself as much to anyone here. I think the main problem is that we actually, for many of us, don't know God very well. I think this is our main problem. And there's good reasons for this. If, If you're not a Christian yet, then that makes sense, of course, because you can't praise and worship a God you don't know yet. Maybe for some of us, we've just become Christian. We're baby Christians and we're still yet to learn more about him. But I suspect for most of us, the issue is we've just settled for quite a shallow knowledge of God. We've come to know him, maybe through Sunday school, and then we've spent a few years getting to know him, doing Bible studies, and then we've just hit the ceiling. We've stopped. 
And we can do this. We can turn the contrast down on God. We maybe don't want to know much more about him because he's too big. He's too confronting. He asks us to do big things for him. Maybe his plans get in the way of our plans. Maybe we think we've got life sorted out, but God has other things. I recently, I once heard, sorry, that sometimes we treat God like a book. We sort of zoom, well, we, we scale him down. We resize him and we make him big enough so we can put him in our pocket. And then we've got him in our pocket and then when we need God, we pull him out and we, we play the God card to deal with our next problem or our next issue. We somehow have settled for a shallow view of God. But God is big. And we have the scriptures to remind us of what God is like. We have brothers and sisters to encourage us, to bring us back on track, to tell us the truth about God. Can I gently encourage you? Keep growing in your understanding of how big God is. Don't let the contrast be turned down. Don't let the font size on God be pulled smaller and smaller. Go to the scriptures and see him as he really is. If you find that difficult, I reckon we all find that difficult. Maybe you need to ask a friend to pray for you that you would read the Bible, that you would be disciplined, that somehow God would trigger in you that reminder that reminder to read his script. Maybe you need to meet with a friend once a week. Maybe you need to go to a home group, a Bible study. Maybe in the new year, we come to the new year and you start again. Get to know God more. Come to see him in all his bigness. Maybe for you, you just need to ask God to realign your views with him. Maybe there's things you've misunderstood about him, things you need to probe deeper. I don't say this to make you feel guilty. I don't say this to, um, to belittle how much you know God. I say this so that you will know him more, so that you can be there singing with the psalmist, rejoicing with him, blessing God, praising him. I want to just share with you a story about a fellow who was at our university campus. So this Christian group Leanne and I talked about earlier, it's the international student group called Focus, and one day a young man turned up and uh, I was on the inside of the, the room where the meeting was and there was about 30 of us and another gentleman was on the outside and this Chinese fellow came up to the front door and he said to the fellow there, he said, I saw the posters around the campus about this meeting, talked about Jesus. And when I was back in China not so long ago, I heard about Jesus just a little bit. He said, I come to the meeting today because I'd like to meet Jesus. I'm here because I want to meet him. Now, it indicates to you how eager he was to meet Jesus. It also indicates how little knowledge he had, that Jesus has died and risen again 2,000 years ago. This guy wanted to meet Jesus. He was bubbling over. I'll tell you the story for two reasons. Because that should be us. We should be bubbling over, wanting to meet Jesus more, like the psalmist, wanting to know God, wanting to praise him. But I also tell you that because there are people around us who actually want to hear about God, who actually want the truth, who are sick of living in this world without God there. And they're just near you. 
There may be your siblings. They may well be neighbours. They may well be people in another city, maybe where you go on holidays this year. They might be in the tent or the unit next door. People will want to hear about Jesus. Are we willing to bubble over with praise for him so that the nations, all kinds of people, might join in the song with us, with the psalmist, with the ancient Israelites, that God would be praised forever and ever. We need to keep moving on because there's a second thing in this psalm um, that the psalmist, there's only two things we're looking at. The second thing in this psalm that the psalmist is pursuing with all his heart. He's desiring it. What is it? What's this other thing he wants to see? He wants to see God's blessing poured out on him. He wants physical blessing. He wants spiritual blessing. He wants every kind of blessing God's got. Have a look. Let's read verse 1 and 2 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. He wants God to look on him with favour. He wants Israel, God to pour out blessing on Israel. Look at verse 6 and 7. Then the land, this is physical blessing, then the land will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This guy wants blessing. Now we need to see in the Old Testament that the, the word blessing, it's a big word, it's a, uh, a blow up word, you know there's a lot in it carries a lot of meaning so where does blessing take us back to in the old testament takes us back to abraham the first israelite the first the beginning of what did god say to abraham abraham i'm going to bless you i'm going to bless everything you do if you go to the land that i promise you i'll bless the land it'll overflow if people come and um, become a part of your nation they'll be blessed too if people come into the land they're going to get blessed too Blessing is a a massive Old Testament idea. It goes back to the roots of Israel. It comes all the way through to the New Testament. We read it a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessing is big. But here's the idea in the psalm. Israel are blessed in order to be a blessing. Israel are blessed in order to be a blessing. Have a look there in verse 2. Why did God choose Israel? Why did he draw a circle around one nation and bless them? Verse 2. That your, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. The psalmist says, God bless us so that you can be known everywhere beyond us. What about verse 7? Verse 6 and 7, God bless us. Why, verse 7? So that all of the ends, the ends of the earth might fear him. Israel were blessed to be a blessing. That is why God blessed them. And you know, we ought to be like this psalmist. We ought to want God's blessing. Actually, it would be very strange if you woke up one morning and didn't want God's blessing. If you woke up and said, oh God, I think I'd like some sickness today. We never do that. It's a right thing to want God's blessing. We should want God's blessing. We hate it when family members get sick, when cancer strikes another person. Disaster, fires, empty dams, suffering that comes, that seems to just come anywhere in any way. We all want God's blessing and it's the right thing to want God's blessing. But why do we want it? Why do we want to receive God's blessing? The psalmist asks for God's blessing so that he can go out and bless others. 
the nations so that it would overflow to distant lands beyond Israel to others, to others who have not yet received his blessing. Four years ago, I remember meeting a missionary and the story sticks with me, so I'll share it with you. He, his responsibility was to visit other missionaries. He, he was to visit missionaries all the way from the Middle East through to Japan. And this particular trip, he was visiting Uzbekistan, so a Muslim country. Then he was visiting China and then he was going to visit Japan. He would go and encourage the missionaries. Anyway, he was in Uzbekistan in a small church country where you can't meet legally. And two men snuck in the back, two Chinese men snuck in the back of the service halfway through. And at the end of the meeting, he said he went up with some of the leaders of the church and they sat down and, and they started to quiz these guys. Who are you? Where are you from? And he said, um, this is what they said to them. We've come from China. We've come from China to tell the Islamic people of this country about Jesus, the Jesus we have come to know. It doesn't sound that remarkable, what they said. These guys had been Christian for less than two years. They probably had less knowledge than the kids out there who are learning about the Lord Jesus today or normally do out of school holidays. Probably less biblical knowledge than them. Apparently they were wearing um, quite ratty clothes and they had one change, in a small, one change of clothes in a small bag, 80 US dollars, and they left China to tell the Muslim people about the Lord Jesus. They'd headed west. And the missionary guy said he was just floored. So he was heading the next day to China to show, talk to missionaries about how they can get alongside the church and encourage them to reach out to their neighbours and friends and then maybe one day they'll encourage them to send out missionaries and they're already doing it. Being Christian for less than two years, he said he was flawed. These men knew what it was to be blessed, didn't they? They knew this term, blessed to be a blessing. And they were heading out. They were wanting to bless others. You and I are blessed. I don't need to remind you of this, but I will. Ephesians says that God gets his spiritual dump truck and he tips it on you. Spiritual blessings. He gives you the lot. He pulls you from wherever you are going into his family. He calls you your, his child. He brings you into the family. He forgives you. He gives you certainty about the future. You know where you're heading. You know you're at peace with God. So many blessings. And on top of this, we here in Australia, we've got so many other blessings. You know, we are educated. It's just the normal day-to-day -day activity of all of us. We know basic skills. We know how to save money. We know how to run things. Generally speaking, we know how to make things. Some of you are teachers. You know how to organise things. Some of you are IT freaks. You know how to make things happen up there. We are blessed in Australia. Such blessing. Why? So that we can use it to be a blessing to others. You don't have to go to China to be a blessing to others. You don't have to go to Bible college. There are all sorts of people around us, others, who need to receive God's blessing doesn't mean you know how to be able to tell the gospel clearly and simply and easily. That would be a good start. But you can be a blessing by being there, by taking an interest, by waving, 
by waving to someone every day down the street as you walk past them. You can be a blessing such that they might come to know God's true blessing that can only be received in the Lord Jesus as he dies for them, for you and me. He offers the lot. And there are people around us who need to hear it. People around us who are probably busting to receive it. Are you asking that God would bless you in order that you would be a blessing to others? Don't be content to receive God's blessing and keep it for yourself. Let it overflow. Do whatever you have to do to make it overflow. You know, John Piper would say it would be an absolute tragedy if you knew what God wanted to do through us, the church, through his people, if we knew it and understood it, and we didn't anchor our life around it. We were content to be like a leaf in the wind. That would be a waste, he says. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come to this song and it's meant to be full of joy and it is full of joy, but it's full of challenge. We ask, Lord, that we, everyone here, would one day overflow with praise for you like this psalmist out of our hearts, that it would penetrate our words, the way we treat our family members, the way we speak to our neighbours, the way we interact with workmates, schoolmates, the people around us. Lord, we pray that we would overflow with praise for you and that as we do this, you might use us, Lord, to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us to see, we need your help to see where we're keeping it for ourselves, where we're unwilling to pass it on. Lord, please this morning use us and in weeks, the coming weeks and months and years that we might be a blessing to you here in this city amongst our friends and family, but maybe in other cities, maybe in other places in the world. Please use us, Lord, in order that you might be honoured and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.